cool. Yeah. Well, he, um, so, but what happened was he, right. He ended up moving back to California though. Right. Uh, Sherry passed away. She, she contracted cancer and passed away. Um, and that kind of sent him for a loop. Um, they, they were, they were a committed couple and, and, um, he kind of, he kind of got lost for a little bit. Um, he would come in and see me and kind of mope around and, and just couldn't really get back on his feet. Uh, he ended up meeting another woman. Um, and, and I actually ran into them and in Walmart and he made a point to drag her over and introduce her to me. And, uh, told me at that point he was, he, he, he thought that they were going to move out back out to California. They moved, uh, Oh, probably within the next six months, I think they moved out to Fresno and he was out there for a couple of years before, before he passed away. So, you know, and I like, the, so for our listeners, uh, Wayne took the time to send us some stories in writing, which is, um, Kind of unusual for our guests. Well, but on the they show also here. sound like police reports. On such and such a date, I was in my mobile crime uh, fighting platform. Approached the violator. That's because he knew he was sending them to you and me. Yeah. <laughs> We'd understand it better. But this one on Brian, I, I love the way that you ended it. And, and I mean, it shows compassion. Even though this guy is a former biker and a, and a former criminal, you ended up. Brian got free of the criminals he had run with in his youth. He worked hard, loved his wife and kids, and supported them the best he could. He started life rough, and he lived rough. But in, in, the, in the end, I think he found his way to being a good man. I mean, brother, that's, that's unusual to hear a lifelong cop say that about individuals, but it just shows that all these years later, with all the crap you've seen over the past, what, 37, 30, yeah, about, know, 33 about 37 years? 37 years, yeah. You know, I mean, you still have compassion in your heart for your fellow man, and and that's why most people get in law enforcement. It's not to go out there and be Billy Badass or try to pretend to be a tough guy. Cops just want to be cops to help other people. You bet. You bet. It's, you know, I, I've said, I've said almost all my career, you know, I mean, um, I can arrest people all day long. I mean, I could I could walk out of the hotel here with some guys here in Hot Springs, and, and we could put people in jail today. Um, mm -hmm. One small problem, though, you're not commissioned in Arkansas, right? So no, have I'm, to be a I'm citizen's not. Right? I, 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 I would. Uh, I I do some work with some some of the guys that are here, but just a mind uh, So I'm I'm back home, and uh, when I get back home, yeah, I could put people in jail all day long, uh, if if that's the goal. Um, but if you're if you're not trying to make a, a difference, if you're not trying to change the way people people behave um then then what's the point i mean all, all you're doing a midwest thing though but see but i think it's a, well maybe not a midwest but it's also a small town thing because if you're in la new york you might see the per, some person in a small area over and over again but chances are i mean you you don't deal with you don't deal with a lot of those folks over and over again because you don't live in that area you don't work in that area but when you're in when you're in claremore when you're in um you know, even if you're in Broken Arrow or if you're in, uh, you know, whatever it is, you got to live in that community too. So it's about making that community better. It's about absolutely hey, if we can if we can make you a better person, it's going to make my community safer. Guess what? At the end of the day, like I said, you could arrest your way through it, but then you're out in public, you're running into Walmart, going out to eat, and guess what? You're running into these people all over again. And so uh, I think it's kind of a small town Midwest thing too, where it's not like I could arrest you, but is there a better way around this? Can we figure out something to do to yeah. where, like you said, like with Brian, he becomes a better person because of it. Well, and, and, you know, yeah, small town, 
small town Oklahoma, I, you know, my career's kind of been unique, <laughs> uh, for our, for that agency to say the least. I mean, I, I've, I've had the opportunity to, um, I work bank fraud cases and wire fraud cases with FBI. I've, I've worked gun cases with ATF. I've got some real good friends that work there. I've, I've bought dope with uh, DEA and, and, um, you know, we, everybody just kind of relies on one another depending on what the, what the case is. Um, but in the end you're, you're right, Morgan. I mean, I'm, I, I run into these people at Walmart. I run into them at the grocery store, um, uh, or at the lumber yard. Um, you know, my, my family has, has adapted pretty well that in that if, if we're in a store someplace and somebody walks up to me and starts talking to me and I don't introduce them, they understand that's probably somebody they don't need to know. And they go do something else while I, while I deal with the issue. Um, and, and you know, um, it, it wasn't very long into my career uh, that I, I, you know, it kind of, it kind of hits you in the face a little bit. Um, I would, I would see somebody in, in somewhere in public and start talking to them and knowing, okay, they're, they're asking me questions and they're being friendly with me and, and we're having a normal conversation, but I've made a case on their son or their daughter or their nephew. And, and I know that in about two or three weeks, their world is going to turn upside down and, and it's going to change dramatically. Um, and, and what I'm trying to, well, the goal there is yes, to solve that problem, stop them from dealing dope, stop them from stealing things, stop them from doing whatever they're doing. But at the same time, recognizing that while that's going to happen, that, that person is still their son or their daughter or their, you know, whatever their relationship is. Um, and knowing that these people are going to have a really hard time with that. They're going it, to, it's, it's going to cost them money because they're going to have to help with attorneys or, 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 uh, a bondsman or, or just, they're going to have, they're going to come to court for their, for, for their, whatever their, uh, kinship is with this person they're going to end up in court with these people they're going to they're going to see me on the opposite side of that and you know uh and, and then, then they're after, going to go i just saw you two weeks ago yeah, why didn't you why, why didn't, didn't you, you say something why didn't you say something um or six months after that or, or or a year after that we just finally got through this case you know we just finally got uh, a disposition on this case and i'm going to run into him in walmart again and and so how are they going to, how are they going to approach me that time? You know, I mean, I've got, I've got a bunch of people that over the years, you know, uh, they've, they've chosen not to, not to continue a, a friendly relationship. And, and I understand why. Uh, but I also have a lot of people that are, you know, that still come up and talk to me after I've put their son or daughter in prison. Um, and, and I think some of that's because, um, of the way you, you, you treat people from the beginning. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to try to treat, treat those folks with the dignity they allow me to, you know, I mean, uh, if yeah, sometimes it's not totally in your control, sometimes it's up to them. You can only go so far, but folks, you got to help me out here. If you're not going to meet me halfway, um, this is going to go South. We used to tell them I can ask you to do it. I can tell you to do it, or I can make you do it. Right. Right. Exactly. It's easier when I ask you and, and we work together. You bet. And, and, 
you know, so back to, back to Brian and, and, and Sherry, they, they were just people that allowed that to happen. They, they were willing, you know, again, they, they tried to work. I say they tried, they did work. They, they contributed to the community, uh, as best they could. Um, I think they both, uh, to, in a sense were, were a little bit handicapped in that, in, in that, how they, how they came into this world. I mean, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't have some of the opportunities that a lot of other people have. Um, but they tried to make the best of what they, of what they did have. Um, and you know, they had, they had kids, they, they wanted to see them succeed and, and do well. And, and, you know, like everybody does. And they just made, they, they made a better effort at it than other people might try. You know, I mean, they, they just, they just, wanted to do the right thing so did brian invite you to her funeral no he didn't he didn't invite me to the funeral um uh actually i i found out uh that she'd been in the hospital after she passed away um he did call me though he called me and told me that she had passed um i don't know that they that they had much more than just a family service though i mean you know they they were again not not people they didn't have a lot of money um, they just, they just made do with what they, with what they had. So I don't know that they had a big service for her. Well, we, so we kind of go from somebody like this, you know, people who are, you know, you do your best, they end up being able to live in society and not become future problems. But then you deal with somebody like Darlene Lorenz and Jerry Hill. And those are ones like you enjoy putting folks like that. Those are the ones you enjoy putting in jail. Darlene and Jerry, that's a, that's a completely different situation. And, and they, yeah, they needed to be put in jail. There's no question. Well, let's talk about that because this is one uh, almost went south on you too, and not because of what you did. But let, let's talk about that too, because this kind of gets to the opposite, right? There are some people who it's like, no, I'm sorry, they're, yeah, th- this one, th- there's no, we're not going to have a kumbaya. We're not going to have, you know, warm showers in the morning together, like uh, Clint Eastwood said, you know, in Heartbreak Ridge. Yeah. So let, let's well, talk about what? Well, no, these guys violated our first rule. What's the first rule? Don't do math. Don't do math. Oh, yeah. <laughs> rule number one, game of crimes, don't do math. <laughs> See, we're choking Wayne up, man. He knows, too. He's at a he, he's at a narcotics conference, and we're talking about don't do math. It's like don't rule number math. one. Absolutely. That was, uh, you know, um, I had actually been in court that day. Um, I was, you know, I was in a pair of, uh, pair of slacks and a, and a, and a, and a sport coat and a tie. And, and, um, I get, got a, a call sport coat and a pink carnation. They're not, not, not quite, not quite, but close not enough. The old Three song goes. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I'd, I'd been in court and I got a call from, a uh, a guy named Lance Ramsey who worked for the Tulsa County Sheriff's office. Um, and he and I had been in the, the police academy together. Uh, we were in the same class and Lance called and said, Hey, I've got a warrant on, uh, Darlene Lorenz for, uh, possession of a sawed off shotgun failure to appear on a possession of a sawed off shotgun case. Um, she's a convicted felon and, and somebody that I knew, um, my, uh, my boss at the time, uh, uh, a man named John Cummings, uh, he and I had worked, uh, more than one informant trying to, to, uh, get into a position to buy meth from her, uh, in, in the past. And, um, so she was kind of a known quantity. We knew she was a bad gal and, and, and 
she was a target for a lot of folks. Um, but so Lance told me that, that she was, um, she was working in, in his area. I'm sorry. Lance told me that not that she was working in his area. Lance told me that he had a warrant for her, uh, that had been issued by the Tulsa district court. <clears throat> and he believed that she was staying in a, in a motel in Claremore. And the, the motel he was talking about, actually it was a place called the Elms. And it was almost like a, a pre-release center for the, for the, state uh department of corrections every everybody comes out of prison and goes and stays in the elms for a little while before they move on so not not your five-star resort that you're going to get uh you know valet service and uh yeah no no I don't, yeah okay yeah i'm not even sure they could spell valet but um <laughs> that you know and in fact that that uh, that motel doesn't even exist anymore it's it's somebody came through and, and bought the property and knocked it down and thank goodness um but the the um, the the proprietor, the guy that owned the place, a guy named Tommy Cop, and and um, you know, if you worked at the police department for very long at all, everybody knew Tommy. Um, so we went to the we went to the motel, and uh, actually, so I, I meet um, Lance and a couple of his guys at uh, at a restaurant parking lot just down the street from the, from the motel. And, and we go through the particulars and, and figure out what we're kind of what we think's going on. Um, and I, Lance and I go over to the motel and, and meet Tommy and look at the registry, uh, at, at the motel. And sure enough, there is a, a guy that Lance knows is an, an associate with, with, uh, he's a friend of, of Darlene's, um, his name is on the registry. So we assume that that's, that's probably where they're at. Um, I end up calling a, a, a friend of mine, uh, who's, who's working a patrol shift at the time, a guy named Keith Heskett. Um, he and I've known each other since high school and, and, um, he, uh, he was, he, we worked patrol, uh, patrol shift together when I first started. And then after I'd been in, in investigations, I, I became the sergeant in investigations for a while. Um, when he had an opportunity, I brought him over and, and brought him into the investigations unit. And then, uh, he actually works with me now at the district attorney's office. He's retired from the, the PD and has come on with me at the DA's office. Um, so I call Keith and, and because I need, I need some extra help. And when he shows up, I tell him what we're doing. We're going to go back to this particular room. Um, Lance and, and, uh, the guys that are with him are, are, are going to go cover the back in case these guys try to get out. Um, and Keith and I are going to go to the front door. And so now being, being the, the bright young man that I am at the time, I'm in a, I'm in a sport coat and a tie. I don't have a vest on. I'm, I'm not marked. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I look like I stepped out of court. Um, but I'm going to go, you know, we're going to go confront this lady who's wanted for fair to appear on a possession sawed off shotgun charge. And, and I'm not, I don't know, I, I guess at the time, maybe I'm thinking I got a S on my chest and a, and a cape on, you know, I can't Which get hurt. Which means you weren't wearing any body armor. You bet. Exactly. Um, not the brightest. Well, I've never done that before. Yeah. Not the brightest guy in the world. Um, so we're walking up to the door 
and and they have an awning that that extends away from the building about 15 feet and um we hit the awning and i can smell the meth lab i can i can smell the odor of the meth lab coming out of the apartment because the door to the to the motel room is open about six or eight inches uh it's standing it's just standing uh kind of a, a jar um and, and, you know, I, I smelled that and it's like, golly, I mean, you know, it just kind of takes the wind out of your cells because, all right, that's uh, at that time, that's 12, that's another 12 hours worth of work that I know we're going to put in. And it's about three 30 in the afternoon. So, you know, well, I'm not making it home for dinner. That's for sure. Hey, did you think about maybe just striking a match and throwing it in there and then oh. we'll coming back the next day? <laughs> Trust me. A little bit later, that thought crossed my mind, and, and at least the consequences of that thought crossed my mind. Um, so uh, we're walking up to that thing, and I'm smelling that odor. And, you know, I'd been in enough of those labs by then that, um, you know, it was the old red phosphorus or anhydrous ammonia stuff. And, and just the smell of that would give me a headache and i oh golly i was just so frustrated now we got to do all this we got to deal with this garbage well, um, not to mention how volatile that stuff is i oh, mean yeah. that's explosive Ab- absolutely um and and she's there i mean okay so it's it's not the world's greatest motel but they're back in the midst of all these other rooms um, there are people on, on both sides now. And nobody called it in. Nobody called in. The, nobody called in the smell saying, Hey, I think there's a meth lab next door. Yeah. No, most of the people that would have been there would, would have, have been probably customers. been customers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're walking up to the door. There's a, there's a window to the, uh, left of the front door. And, and Keith says, man, I'm going to go, I'll catch the window. And I said, okay, that's great. Um, I walk up to the door and I, I look inside and there is a man. I don't, this Jerry Hill, I don't know him at the time. Um, but he's sitting on the, on the corner of the bed. Uh, he's got his elbows on his knees and he's got his hand, his head in his hands. He's just kind of sitting there. And Darlene is laying on the bed. Um, She's got her head on a on a pillow and her hands under the pillow. And I knew Darlene. I knew exactly who she was. And so when I saw her, I, I okay, so we're at the right place. There's no question. And, and at that point with the, with the meth lab odor and all that stuff, whether it's the right people or not, we're, we're, we're committed. <laughs> we got to deal with this. Um, so I got my gun in my hand, I knock on the door. And as I knock on the, when I knocked on the door, it, it slides open another six or eight inches and Jerry raises his head up. He looks at the door and of course I got my pistol pointed at him and I, Hey, show me your hands. And boy, he immediately, his hands come up and, um, you know, there's no question, you know, and Darlene looks at me and I tell, I, you know, Darlene, I'm the police. Show me your hands. And she's, she doesn't move. She's, she's just laying there looking at me. And now, I'm, does she look like she's tweaking or is anything else? Or uh, she just got one of those like thousand yard stairs going? She, she, okay. So Darlene had been doing dope so long at that point that it's hard to um, tell. It was kind of hard to tell. It, life had been pretty rough for, on her. And, 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 you know, she had that, uh, you know, a typical crankster kind of look, a typical tweaker look. She, she, her cheeks were sunken in and, um, 
you know, kind of almost emaciated to, to a point. Um, but she's just, yeah, kind of a thousand yard stare, sort of. Um, she's just more looking through me than, than looking at me. And so I, I'm, I'm continuing to tell her, Darlene, show me your hands. Show me your hands. And while that's going on, there is a fog in the room that's hanging about from about two feet down uh, from the ceiling of, of that motel room. It's just kind of hanging in the air. And you can smell the ether and, and all the acetone and all that. And <laughs> while I'm yelling at her to show me your hands and telling Jerry to stay where he's at, I'm thinking if I have to squeeze off around in this thing, we're all going to the moon. This, this, this whole place is going to go up. There's, this is, this is bad. This is not a great place to be. And especially with just me standing at the front door, this is not a cool thing. You know, show me your hands, show me your hands. And she's just, she, the, her, you can tell the wheels finally start turning. She is, she is thinking about what she should be doing. Um, you know, and it, but nothing's moving quickly and everything slows down. Show me your hands. Show me your hands. I have gotten to the point that I've got the front side of my, uh, of my gun on pointed at the bridge of her nose. I've taken up slack in the trigger. I'm telling her, you know, I am, I am on the point of she's going to make the wrong move and I am going to shoot her in the face. That's why I say you're about a half an ounce away of trigger pull from, yeah. uh, blowing up the whole damn place yeah yeah we're gonna we're, we're gonna clear the motel property right there hey Plus, you could have saved that guy a bunch of money the one you, who came in and bought it and raised yeah. it later hey i blew it up for you yeah yeah that thing was so full of asbestos we would have created an epa site right there just blah it, <laughs> but so i'm i'm yelling at her i mean it, it's obviously it's really tense i'm yelling at her uh, i'm amped up show me your hands show me your hands she's not moving and finally, she she starts to move. Hands start to come out from under the pillow. And Keith has been watching from the window. And when she starts moving, he sings out. He yells out, she's moving. And, and when he says that, she stops. And it's like, okay, now she's recycling. She's her, her the, you know, okay, there's more than one. What do I, what do, I do? What do I do? You know, and I'm still yelling at her, show me your hands, give me your hands. Um, that goes on. It seems like forever. She finally, um, decides to, to bring her hands out from under the pillow. And, and when she does, she, she sets up, she takes her hands out of the pillow. She sets up on the bed and, uh, Keith comes in with me and we get them both handcuffed. Um, and Kyle, I mean, you can't hardly even stay in that place. The, the, the smell so, so hard, um, get them up off the bed, throw the pillow over. And there is a, a nine millimeter on one side of the pillow and a 22 Magnum on the other side of the pillow. And so she had, she had both hands on, on handguns and, and I, to this day, I believe had, had Keith not said what he said, had he not yelled when he did. Um, there was going to be a gunfight. Um, it might not have been a long gunfight. I think I felt like I was pretty prepared. I felt like I was, uh, on target pretty well, but yeah, she was going to, she was going to move. And I, I really believe she thought she could, uh, she could, she could win that and, and come out, come out blazing. Um, interestingly enough, Jerry, 
the guy that was in there was sitting in front of her. Now he knew what she had under that pillow and he was white as a sheet because he was between she and I, and, and I'm pretty sure he understood it wasn't going to turn out well for him either way. So, <laughs> well, you know, too, the, it's the, the laws of physics action versus reaction, you even bet. though you're prepared, you know, it's, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. You not bet. to mention you would have blown everything up, but uh, well, we, we don't know that he hasn't blown everything up. Murph yet. We're not to the end of the story. Way to go. And, and telling yeah, everybody the I, end of the story. I think if he'd blown everything up, we probably wouldn't be having this interview yeah, today. Yeah. Well, as, as it turned out, they, you know, we, we, uh, we cleared that out. Um, after we got him arrested, uh, and in custody drug out, um, we secured that room. Um, I, I got some more, some more cops there. And so they sat on it. Um, I actually took her and, and Jerry, Keith and I both took her and Jerry to, uh, to booking. And yeah, but before you left the room though, you looked under the pillows, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that what'd you, was, what'd you find that happened while they were still there. Yeah. She had a, she had a, uh, a nine millimeter, uh, on one, well, there was a nine millimeter and a 22 Magnum under that pillow and, and positioned where her hands were. Man, did you, Morgan, did you take a nap there? He told us that a while ago. Oh, he did? Yeah. You got you to gotta excuse him again, you know, trooper here. <laughs> there's, only, there's only so many things you can keep track of at one time. So. Well, yeah, I'm trying to keep track of, look at the story, look ahead, so I can ask some yeah. probing questions. This is like a 60 Minutes interview. There you go. Yeah, so we, we got that place locked down, and and, uh, and I was going to have to go write a search warrant for it for the rest of the, the rest of the stuff that was in there. Um took them to, took them to jail. Um, we're, we're booking them in. She had, uh, <laughs> we're walking through the questions, you know, that, that everybody gets asked, you know, where do you live? You know, how tall are you? You know, things like that. And, uh, asked her what she did for a living. And she said, well, what do you think I do for a living? I'm a dope dealer. What do you think I do? <laughs> First oh. time somebody's yeah. actually honest on those forms. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you actually want to say thank you for being honest. Oh, you bet. You bet. Appreciate you. Appreciate your honesty. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, what do we yeah. have for her, Johnny, as a parting gift? <laughs> yeah. Well, so um, we we end up going back and 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 uh, doing the search warrant, executing the search warrant for the for the motel, and and there's. It's a meth lab, and there's more more components. Well, let's quick question about that. Because of all those chemicals and everything, did you have to call in? I mean, what did you do? Because at one time they used to have the super fund. You know, it had to be, uh, it had to come out of EPA, right? I mean, but hazmat suits. What did you guys have to do to go into that hotel? Because with, I mean, anhydrous ammonia. I know from being a farm boy that that stuff alone will kill you. You breathe in the anhydrous, you you're dead. You bet. Well, that ended up being a, a red phosphorus lab. Um, so we didn't have to deal with the anhydrous issues, uh, but, but with red phosphorus, you deal with phosphine gas and, and all kinds of stuff that's extremely dangerous as well. Um, you know, we did our best to vent that thing and, 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 um, you know, not stay in that room any, any more than we had to. Um, but yeah, so you set up an area where you drag stuff outside and, and process it. Um, you know, you put on the little, uh, Midas man suits, uh, you know, the Tyvek covers and whatnot, so that you're not, you're not any more exposed than you have to be. Um, and yeah, you call, you know, our, our process at the time was we called DEA, um, and told them what we had and DEA would dispatch a, uh, a cleanup crew that would come out of Oklahoma city 
And so, you know, we were there for a couple of hours minimum, just waiting on those guys to show up. Um, they would come and, you know, they, they're, they're putting all this stuff in barrels full of vermiculite and, and stuff that absorbs anything that spills and keeps, tries to keep it as inert as possible. Um, but we've also got, you know, the, you know, back, back then when, when, uh, in our little area, when, when an ounce of meth was a huge deal, I mean, you know, of course now everybody's got a pound, but, um, uh, there were two or three ounces of meth in that, in that motel room. And and they had a bunch of pharmaceuticals. They had some uh, Dilaudid and some Percocet and things like that, that were packaged that they were selling as well. Um, and then a bunch of, like I said, a bunch of, uh, uh, components a bunch of other chemicals that that they had purchased um to to make more meth in the future um and then there was another gun on the other side of the bed so um they were you know they were that that was just the the business they were in and they were ready so well um, the fun part though is going to trial right because but she also made a couple other remarks to you because um if i remember right she was uh according to your notes right she was at least involved her name came up in a murder investigation yes. prior. Yes. She, she, her, her name came up in a, in a, in a murder that had occurred probably 10 years before that. Um, and, um, she told us, she told us while we were booking her in that, um, that we had a gun that belonged to her that was, that was used in the murder. And, and when she bonded out, she wanted that gun back. And it's like, okay, let's walk through the, let's walk through the brilliance of this statement because she's, she's either, she's really stupid, which she doesn't seem like really stupid, just criminally, she's criminally smart, but was she doing that just like as a threat or was she doing it just to mess with you or just to kind of let you know, I know, you know, I was involved in this, but you can't prove shit. I, I think she's doing a little bit of all of that. I mean, she's, she's trying to, she's trying to tell us, you know, make sure that we understand that, that this isn't her first rodeo, that, that, you know, she's, she's somebody that's not just, not just kind of involved in, in this lifestyle. She's, she's buried in it. She's, she's deep into this. Um, and did you ever think though about the legality of, so you want your pistol back, so you go get it out of there, you release it, you sign for it. The minute she touches it, then you charge her with possession of a gun. Cause that's not entrapment. She asked you for it. You know, we both, we kind of just laughed it off. I mean, we knew, you know, we knew, we knew her history. We knew what was going on. Um, that obviously that's never going to happen. She's not going to get that gun back. We're not even going to consider <laughs> that, would, but, but just, that the, would be a just fun the, thing. Oh yeah. Well, you know, you, you have to be creative in this job sometimes. And so, yeah, yeah, there wouldn't, that, that wouldn't be the first time something similar to that had actually happened, but, but yeah. Um, Your honor, it's not entrapment. She asked for the weapon back. We complied. She wanted it. We gave it to her. It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. And then we seized it again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she, uh, she was really brash and just in, in your face about that kind of stuff. And, and that was just, that was who she was. She'd been running, uh, running loose and, and, and kind of, well, she was one of the, one of the go-to people for, for meth in the area for, for quite a while. So. Well, let's talk about this trial though, because you had a brilliant criminal defense attorney. I like your question. Oh, I wouldn't want to be represented by this guy either. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, about, you know, about a year later, we move on to trial and, and they actually took us to trial. You know, they didn't, they weren't, wouldn't take a plea. 
They, they didn't have any, any desire to take any kind of plea agreement. So we go to trial and we're in the midst of the trial. We, we've had, we've got a jury seated. We've, we've presented some evidence. We've taken a break and we're standing in the judge's office, um, kind of waiting on, on the judge to get ready to go back in. And the attorney's talking about some previous cases that he's been involved in. And one of them was a guy named Rex Brindley, who was, a uh, uh, you know, Rex was an interesting character. Um, you know, the rumor was, uh, he, he built a really nice house out in rural Rogers County, actually kind of Mays County, Rogers County line area. And, and his claim was that if every stick it took to build that house wasn't stolen, he'd tear that thing down and build it over again. Um, and the, the wooden fence around his property was painted in the yellow, uh, yellow line highway paint. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the story I was told was that it was stolen from the department of transportation building in the County North of us. Um, so another guy that, that, uh, didn't, didn't hide things very well. Um, Didn't you just love those calls too? It's like, it's not like the crime of the century, but you come over to a party and these kids, and then you'd walk in there and they've got a stop sign and a yield sign and a speed limit sign. And you go, guys, this is stolen property. You can't have this. Oh, but, but it's our, it's our garage, you know, art, you know, sorry guys. We're, uh, the, 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 the state of Kansas does not sell these things at auction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rex actually, um, uh, he, uh, he blew up a school teacher in, in a community in, in, uh, in Oklahoma, in Tahlequah, trying to, uh, trying to, to murder a judge, uh, but instead killed his wife and, uh, the judge's wife. Yes. And so he was doing time. He, he, he was in jail. He was in prison for life, uh, down at the Oklahoma state penitentiary. This attorney had, had represented him. And so he was telling me this story and, and he said, you know, of course, Rex got life. And I, yeah, yeah. And then, so then he tells me another story about another case that he's working. He said, of course, that guy got life too. And, I said, <laughs> and as he was going on, I thought, man, I don't, I don't know if I, if I was in that position, I don't think you're the guy I'd hire. I, you know, I mean, <laughs> so. I can do better than you. Yeah. We used to joke with some of our defense attorneys. We got along with most of them, but it's like, I, I walked up to one guy after I testified in the preliminary hearing, I walked up, I shook his hands in front of his client and said, hey, congratulations. You got yet another client bound over for trial. Way to go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, uh, there was a defense attorney in our, in our area that, that was, um, he, uh, we used to be neighbors and, um, he and I would have some, have some funny conversations because he got a lot of, of the, a lot of the defendants that were in my cases. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny because, you know, prior to disposition of those cases, he was, he was a real advocate, you know, man. Yeah, no, my client, this, my client, that. And then we'd get the, the case disposed of, and he and I would be standing at the fence talking to one another. And he'd say, oh yeah, no, that guy needed to go to jail. He needed to go to prison. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, anyway, so let's, so let's, yeah, so let's, so they go to, so how long does your trial last? Uh, the trial was about three days. Um, and, and, uh, you know, other than the OSBI, uh, the, the lab, uh, uh, reports uh, and everything reports, the, the, the people that had to support that had to sponsor those, uh, I, the, the majority of the trial was me on the stand and it, it just, boy, it went on and on and on. 
What did they try? I mean, what did they try to attack you on? First of all, the doors open. Um, you've got the smell. You're obviously a trained investigator. You, you know what the smell of, of that kind of stuff, what it leads to. What possible defense could they mount at that point? You know, it, it was interesting because it was all about proving whether or not that stuff was theirs. Um, we, we, we got, uh, we got focused on, um, at one point why, uh, why there were no fingerprints, uh, that were substantiated to be theirs on any of this material. Now, interestingly enough, we did ask for fingerprints to be, uh, uh, for latent prints to be taken from the lab on that, on that property. Um, I got the report back on that about three weeks after the trial and their fingerprints were all over the property, but it, we didn't have it at the time. I don't know why we didn't, we didn't pass that trial until the next docket, but, but we didn't. And so, um, but those kind of things, you know, um, of, of course they, they wanted to argue, um, was the door really open? Was it, was it really open, you know? Or, or did you just walk up there and push the door open? You know, well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't closed. It was, it, I mean, it was standing ajar, you know, um, it just, but that was, you know, those kind of arguments, it, it was kind of, it was kind of silly that we were doing it, but, but they were, were bound to determine they weren't going to take a, they weren't going to take a deal. They they were going to take her, take their chances with the jury and, and thought well, that they could. How'd that work out for them? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm standing in the courtroom. Uh, the, the deliberation room for the jury is, is, uh, attached to the courtroom, but it's off to one side and there's a bailiff, you know, standing over there, uh, sitting over there and I, and, uh, she and I are talking. She, she was, uh, at the time was, uh, a, a longtime girlfriend of one of my partners. And, um, you know, I said, man, I just wish that just once, just once we'd go through this and the jury would actually understand what we dealt with, would see these people for what they are and, and would just give them life. So we don't have to deal with them anymore. And so we were laughing about that. Yeah. Well, you know, pe people don't understand and, and they don't see what we see and, and whatnot. So we we're, we're going back and forth about that. They finished deliberating. We come in, um, uh, I'm the state's rep, so I get to I get to be in the court, and I've I've been allowed to be in the courtroom for the entire time. Um, and jury comes in and renders the verdict, gives the forms to the judge, and the judge starts reading off. Okay, so they're guilty, 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 guilty. Uh, there were six or eight charges, and and they they're found guilty on all those. Um, and the judge in this case was. Um, was rendering the sentence. And so she sentences them to two life sentences for uh, manufacturing and I think manufacturing and possession with intent. Now, now these, these two are multi-time felons, but, but they get two life sentences for, for those crimes and those are ran concurrent. Those, those are supposed to run at the same time. But then she gives them three 200-year sentences for the three <laughs> other crimes that they commit, uh, that they're found guilty for. And that two of those were weapons violations. So you yes. got convicted felons, you know, and then, then delauded. Right. And then runs those, those three 200-year sentences consecutive 
to one another and the life sentences. So I'm going to see, I want to stop you there for a second, because when we hear that and now you've been sentenced, right, they're going to appeal. But if the sentence is uphold, so you've got two concurrent life sentences, but then you add 200 years on top of that. Most people would think even Murph would come to this conclusion. They're going to be in jail for the rest of their they're going to be in prison for the rest of their life. I should say jail is. Well, you, you know, think so. Yeah, you those think, folks, those folks should be people that we don't deal with anymore. Mm-hmm. But as Paul Harvey says, and now for the rest of the story. Yeah. 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 They, they, uh, uh, this was Dar- not your last time hearing about Darlene. No, no, it wasn't. And, and, uh, Darlene did about 10 years. I mean, she did 10 calendars and, and so she spent some time in, but, uh, she was released by the department of corrections. Okay. You got to stop there and you got to explain Oklahoma. You, you got to tell me what's going on. How do you get 200 years? On top of uh, two life sentences concurrent, and you're out in ten years. Well, I th- I think that they modified the sentence at some point. Uh, it was still significant, but they, you know, uh, so life in, in the Department of Corrections that that's equated to forty five years. Um, and I, you know, you're not going to get more than more than a life sentence. They're not going to. I don't think Department of Corrections is going to recognize more than a life sentence. So that 200 year business, um, you know, really doesn't really doesn't uh, uh, correlate to what to how the Department of Corrections actually treats it. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I actually was reading an article uh, about the State Department of Corrections. Um, and how they uh, compute good time and, and how much time you can earn. And you, you can actually earn like double or triple the number of days uh, that you actually, that you're actually in prison. I mean, so in a, in a month you can actually earn 60 or 90 days uh, off your sentence for, for the time that you do, depending on the type of inmate you are and the classes that you, you, you take and the programs you volunteer for and whatnot. So if you do 10 years, you might get 30 years off your sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. So how does, uh, okay. I mean, that's, the, that's one of the great mysteries of life is, uh, cause we know out here there, there's some, there was stuff going on, some shit going on when COVID happened. They were releasing a cop killer out here in Virginia that just mm-hmm. irked a lot of people, um, uh, just, just some weird stuff going on, but this is all pre COVID stuff. I mean, Oh, you bet. Long 10 time years. before COVID. Uh, so, so did they say that, did, did something happen where they said the judge's ruling was excessive or was all of this done at the department of corrections? My understanding is it was through the department of corrections. I, I don't, I don't recall hearing from anybody. Um, and, and now, you know, to be completely honest, I, I, I haven't, I haven't researched that part of, of the sentencing through the court system, but, but I was never made aware that we were, we were uh, reassessing the, the severity of the sentence through the court system by, by the district attorney's office at the time. Um, and I was pretty active with those guys. So I would have, I would have assumed they would have talked to me about that. But she's turned her life around. Hallelujah. Found Jesus, found a job. And what was she doing in Tulsa? Uh, she's, she was uh, working at, at a homeless shelter in Tulsa. Um, they, the Tulsa World did a huge story about her. It was on the front page. Um, and, you know, with a, with a big picture of her and, and uh, you know, all this, all the good work she was doing. Um, and, and, and maybe she is. Maybe she was. I, I actually have, have reached out. She's still on probation or on parole. She's still on parole 
And I've reached out to her parole officer and asked, uh, asked if she would put me in contact with her. Um, but that was about, I did that about three months ago and, um, she's kind of homeless now. That's what I understand. Uh, so the, the parole officer said, well, you know, she checks in with me periodically and I'll let her know that you're, uh, that you've asked to talk with her, but I can't tell you that she will. And, um, you know, they weren't willing to call her in for me or anything. So what would you have talked yeah. to her about? You know, I'm interested to know what, um, what, if she, if she remembers, Christ, she may not remember, but if she remembers what was going through her mind that day, you know, I mean, um, I, I'm certain that we were, that we were, you know, just seconds away from a shootout. Um, but you know, I'd like to, I'd like to know, you know, what was going on in her mind now and what she thought since then. I mean, is she, uh, uh, you know, is this really, I mean, has she turned her, her life around? Has she, has she taken those efforts to heart and really tried to do something different or, or is, is, is that just lip service and well, she's so much homeless of it now, you know, that's just one step closer to getting back into meth or something else. Oh, you bet. You bet. All right. Easy income. You know, I, I read an article here while we were talking, and uh, it, it says that the uh, Pardon and Parole Board made a recommendation to commute her sentence, and the and the, the governor back then in 2006, Brad Henry, approved their recommendation. And this is what kind of bothers me. Lorenz is among thousands of Oklahomans convicted of nonviolent crimes. Oh, yeah. Did they not read the part where she had the two guns under the pillow? In Even a prior possession said, of a sawed-off shotgun, and yeah. And related to a, a previous murder, maybe she wasn't the murderer, but she was a suspect in it. She was arrested, but eventually released. And even she says that she was arrested more than 80 times, and it's quoted, it was crazy. I was the world's worst drug dealer, and yet they, they commuted her sentence. It just boggles your mind when these boards of, of you know, I don't know if you call them do-gooders or what, but, you know, <laughs> good Lord, look at the facts. Don't just think, okay, well, she was convicted to two She's got two life sentences plus what six hundred years or whatever the hell yeah. it was. I mean, it's ridiculous, and and they commuted her at ten years. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Well, and and kind of interestingly enough, uh, Jerry Jerry Hill didn't have the history she had. Uh, Jerry actually served more time. <laughs> he actually did more time than she did. By, oh, by wow. not by just a little bit. He did he did years more than she did. You can't make this shit up. Yeah. You're not kidding. You are not kidding. Well, let's wow. let's let's end this now on a different kind of note too, because we wanted to Murph, you brought this up too. Um kind of set the stage for us about what you found out, then let's have Wayne talk about it. Absolutely. Well well, one thing I want to point out is is uh you know, we know you're not only involved in how you and I got to meet each other. You're not only involved in still in investigations, but you're also part of an organization out there. If you can tell us a little bit about that, I might be the organization on my t-shirt right now. Absolutely. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the current past president for the association of Oklahoma narcotic enforcers. Um, a one for short, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did that just to be different than, but all I can think of is steak sauce. We're A1. Hey, yeah. we're 57. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to do that. Everybody is either, you know, CNOA, ANOA, uh, KNOA. Uh, yeah, no, we're A1. A1. And so so we're a little bit different. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's see. So that organization started in 1989. 
Um, I've been a member since 1990. Um, and, and just because some of the guys that are in this group with me, um, I like to rub it in a little bit. I'm actually the first two-time president of the association. Um, one of my buddies was trying to beat me to that. I really didn't intend to do that, but that's how it worked out. Um, and so that's a that's a group that that uh, provides training, uh, narcotics training, and and really just a variety of training for law enforcement officers across the state of Oklahoma. Um, and and we have a we have an annual training conference every year, the first week of August. Um, you know, everybody wants to come to Oklahoma in August, I promise you. Um, <laughs> you know, you get the opportunity to have 104 degree temperatures and 96% humidity and, you know, it's a great place to hang out. Sounds like That's why you invited Javier and I out there, huh? Nobody else would accept. So you brought Javier and I out there. There you go. Come. There you go. You know, you, you During can, COVID, by the way. Yeah. You can, you can only con so many people into making that trip. Um, you know. <laughs> You got me once. Yeah. <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, just pay me, and I don't care. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been with them, for, uh, involved with that group for a long time, and and um, that's the Association of Oklahoma Narcotics Enforcers, right? Yeah, the Association of Oklahoma Narcotic Enforcers. Um, I, I had to look at that several times before I can remember what the name of your organization was. <laughs> <laughs> you made it difficult. Yeah. So yeah, I've been involved with that group for a long time, and um, uh, because of that, I'm friends with with. I've, I've gotten the opportunity to be friends with people all over the country. Um, it's 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 a great uh, a great way to to network with folks and just build relationships. And um, you know, met Kevin Black through through that through that. Uh, yeah, we understand you keep trying to steal him out to Oklahoma and he's not biting yet. I don't know. I think Kevin's going to make the trip. Um, you know, I, I, he's he's interested. I mean, you, you're you're chumming the water there a little bit. He's yeah. nibbling at the bait. I keep I keep telling my boss that we need to we need to come up with some funding because uh, he would be a good guy to uh, to have in the in the twelfth district uh, where I work. Um, but well, either just, that you know, or or. One of the other guys uh, that's involved in that group, a guy named Andy Simmons, is the sheriff of Muskogee County. So we we could make Kevin an Okie from Muskogee. Muskogee, if, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, if you bring Kevin out, you just want to carry some Depends because he has a history. <laughs> and some air freshener. <laughs> yeah, I listened to that episode. I, I I actually had to pull over. I was laughing so hard, I, I was about to crash. <laughs> about to have a oh, you got to love Kevin, man. He's he's an outstanding investigator. He's got a sense of humor that never gets old. No. <laughs> just And his story, what a story. is unbelievable yeah. as well. He's a so great the, guy. Uh, Speaking of stories, the other Mark, thing we, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, you, so um, you've, we had Brian Serber here on on uh, Game of Crimes, who works in the same office you do. Um, and just when I was I was googling you this morning, and came across an article that Brian had written, just a, a little blog about someone in your family that had written a book, and it just kind of uh, struck a chord in my heart. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yes, uh, my niece Abigail. Um, uh, my little brother, one of my little brothers. I'm the I'm the oldest of seven. Um, my, my oldest little brother, Duke and his wife, Cynthia had a daughter named Abigail. Um, Duke's actually a retired Tulsa police officer. Um, and, um, Abigail passed away about three years ago. She, uh, she developed a, f a fatal heart arrhythmia and, and, uh, passed away. Um, before she had 
died, she had written a book, um, and boy, I'm, I'm going to be an awful uncle and I'm not going to remember the name. Um, uh, We're give it to you, the adventures of someone ordinary it. who become extraordinary. Yes. Um, she'd written that book. She, she was, uh, 13 years old. Um, she wrote that cover to cover on her own. Um, my, my brother and my sister-in-law, uh, are adamant about the, the fact that, um, they, they didn't help her with that story. They might help her with, uh, certain, uh, certain punctuations or, or things like that, that, but, but the, the story originally is, is hers alone. Um, uh, she wrote it and after she passed away, um, they, they had that published now, not for necessarily, I mean, they weren't trying to sell it. It was, uh, something they put together, um, uh, so that the family could, could share that book, could have that book, uh, and, and just, you know, have that as a, as a way to remember her. Um, uh, they, they, they have sold, uh, a, a few, quite a few copies, um, but the the proceeds that they get from that book, they actually uh, use that through their church and and send send kids to camps and and um, you know that's that's nothing they accept any uh, you know any profit from. Um, but it's, it's it's a good book. I've read it. Uh, it's 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 pretty amazing that that she that she wrote that. Yeah, and it, I mean it's I think it's <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I'm looking it's still available on Amazon if you're interested in a paperback version The Adventures of Someone Ordinary Who Becomes Extraordinary by Abigail Stennett. Stennett, uh, yeah. We will be purchasing that book and I've got a feeling my granddaughters uh will be getting a copy of that uh when Christmas carols run. And Murph, year. I think we're going to make an exception. I think you know what we'll do uh in honor of uh, Abigail and her memory. I think what we'll do is on our book page we'll put that link to that book for this episode. Fantastic. And I we'll put that up it. on the book page and we'll we'll let everybody know how they can get it. We'll put a link to it, link it to the Amazon and make sure everybody if they want to get it they can download it and uh, support that cause. You know, I tell you what, at 13 years old, I probably had still had a trouble spelling my name correctly. At, you know, here's a young lady who's at written 87, you still book. have problems spelling your name correctly. <laughs> Just call me Sam. I don't know, whatever the hell you want to call me. Just don't ask him to call 911 uh, there, Wayne. 199. 199. <laughs> Abigail was an amazing young lady. She absolutely was. She was, she was always, uh, all, always full of smiles. Um, uh, when, uh, after she passed, uh, there was a, a a group of people that got together and, and, um, they actually had a bench made, uh, uh, with her name on it. And then that sits in front of the school, in front of the, the choir room at the school. She, she liked to sing. She was in the choir. And, uh, so it's, it's out there with some flowers and, and, you know, some things around it for the kids to be able to sit on and, um, just keep her, help keep her memory alive. Absolutely, brother. That's uh, man. That's it's very touching. I'm glad that that you know you've had a crazy life. I mean, <laughs> people you're dealing with out there, who they're everywhere, right? Oh, uh, all um, over. But uh, but uh, but to end up with a special young lady like this, yeah. whose whose life was cut short way 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 too young, but she left a mark on on everybody. And here's an opportunity that uh, people can still help others. So don't be bashful. You know, spend your hard work, hard earned dollars out there, and get a copy of this book and support a good, good cause. Yeah, 
So, hey, Wayne, so brother, we got to bring this to a close. But before we do, this is us saluting you saying, first of all, thank you for serving the, the people of Oklahoma. Uh, thank you for serving A1 sauce uh, to Murph. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, free T-shirts. But, uh, you know, we want to and, and but really too big help. Thank you so much for uh, helping us with getting intros to people, uh, you know, some great episodes because of you. So we owe you, sir. This is us saluting you saying thank you for what you do and thank you for coming on here and telling your story. Well, I'm, I'm happy Absolutely. to do it. I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, I, I know for a lot of people, um, these these episodes, these stories are entertaining. Um, but the way that uh, the way this the way those stories get presented um, uh, I've, I've, I've listened to all of them and my, my family are fans for sure. Um, and, but the way those are presented, uh, is, is, uh, just an opportunity to tell the real story, really what goes on with the law enforcement and, and, and how those, those different events have affected the lives of people that have been involved. And I'm, I'm appreciative of what you guys are doing. Brother, it's been an honor to have you on here, Wayne. Uh, I know you and I will continue to stay friends for the rest of our lives, and we'll stay in touch with each other. Um, thank you for your support. That's the whole purpose of Game of Crime, is to show the world the heroes that are out there, the sacrifices that you make, not only you, but your families, the bravery, the expertise, the dedication to serving your fellow man. So been a, been an honor to have you on here, brother. Hell, it really has. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Don't go anywhere. We're bringing this to a close. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. Well, I'm Murph, I told you there was a tie-in between our small-town police blotter, some of the weird laws, like you can't keep pigs over 32 inches in there. I was trying to find a law that says you can't keep Cayman crocodiles in there and raise them for boot leather. <laughs> Give them a chance. And once this episode comes out, it'll probably be enacted into a new law out there. I mean, but think you, about that. What a what kind of moron does that? He's waiting till he gets big enough to get a pair of boots out of. By the time you get through feeding this guy for four years, that this reminds me of Silence of the Lambs. I mean, he's getting his last victim, you know, to create his human dress. By the time uh -huh. you get through raising this crocodile and all the chicken and meat you fed it, you could have gone out and bought a custom made pair of boots. <laughs> for one tenth the price, but exactly. But I mean, I think about that. Now you're doing, you know, you're doing. I, I think they were doing a knock and talk, right? Not a search warrant. But when well, they, they went they in, some, you know, they had some, yeah. Information. You, you pull the they, shower curtain back, and there's a damn alligator. They had a. They, they did a trash pull. They got a warrant, and that's how they went to the house. So uh, we talked about oh. that, right? So what fun, right? I, mean, I, I, mean, I tell you, brother, that's that's one I never did. I never. <laughs> Fantastic, though. Oh, man. Well, hey, guys. And the other thing, too, is um, not every story is about big city, huge cases, you know, that make the news. This is the stuff that goes. This is the meat and potatoes of society. This is the stuff that goes on in every community around the United States. And these are the real stories out there. So, you know, this is us. Again, we saluted Wayne. I mean, you. Yeah. the difference between the big towns and the smaller towns Smaller towns, you got to live around the people you arrest 24-7. You will run into them. Yeah. You will see them. Big towns, you might work in one district and one precinct, never see anybody from that area because you're living, you know, 15, 20 miles away, and you'll never see them. And, and it, you know, it's proof that no matter what size town or city you live in, crime is everywhere. Um, and I tell you what, take, we take our hats off to Wayne for your life of service to your community out there. The man has no plans of giving up here. Uh, he's continuing with his professional law enforcement career. He's one of these guys that sets the standards that others trying to live up to. So 
Wayne, a true, true honor to have you on here and a real honor to call you our friend. And I hear he's starting up a competitive conference to the A1 conference. It's going to be called Heinz 57. Oh, that's terrible. That was terrible. Wayne, you could slap him the story stands. It stands for the uh, our Association of Oklahoma Narcotics Enforcers. So they had to come up. So it's called A1. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you know what? I can never remember what the A1 stands for. That's why I just say it's the Oklahoma Narcotics. It's guys. the Steak Sauce Conference. There we go, guys. Well, if you enjoyed this, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Hit those five stars. Uh, Apple and Spotify, it's magic. We don't know exactly how it works. It's David Blaine, David Copperfield, Penn & Teller. It just works, right? Also, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more information about the show, especially to how make sure you order the book. The book is The Adventures of Someone Ordinary Who Became Extraordinary by Abigail Stinnett, and it's coming out on her birthday, so it can't get any better than that. Uh, follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, head on over to Game of Crimes Fans answer a couple questions, and the Mafia Queen, Sandy Salvato, will allow you entrance into the Inner Sanctum. Uh, but also, follow, hey, go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Right, Murph? We do our 911 episode we just released. We're doing review of season one and two of Narcos, which we've never done. We've done Blow. Right. We've done a lot of other stuff. But uh, we did it on Patreon. We did a 12-depth, but that was the real story of Pablo. This is the first time we've actually ever reviewed the Narcos right. series. And we're right. finding this, out— and that- I'm glad you said that because I just want, our, want them to know it's not a repeat of something we've already done. It's different. This is different. And what's different about it? It's the real story of Murph, uh, you know, w- what he did over there. Uh, it's, it's, it's like 99% accurate, right, Murph? Oh, don't answer. <laughs> They'll have to listen to the Patreon episode to there find out. There you go. There you that go. See, teaser. that's a tease. All right. I love it. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, hey, but guys, but seriously, we really appreciate what you do for us. We really, really appreciate your support. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. So again, just drop over there, Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars, and we appreciate it. And thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 